we have been looking at a broad overview of Exodus as an introduction, and we've read chapter 1 together. Exodus in one word, as we continually hear this, can be summed up as redemption. Redemption. The act of redeeming or buying back, restoring, gaining back something that has been forfeited or lost. Something that has gone into the possession of another. God doesn't forfeit his people. He doesn't lose his people, quote-unquote. He certainly doesn't sell his people unless the people want to be sold and they refuse to be the Lord's possession, which is an act of the will, rebellion. In this case, the people were prophesied by God through the first man, Abraham, the head of the Jewish race, the first Hebrew, not the first man period, which was Adam, but the first man who is the head or the progenitor of the Hebrew race. To Abraham, the Lord said, your descendants will be in another land, in a foreign land. They will be under bondage. It was part of God's program. Notice the Lord didn't send Jacob to become a slave. It's important to note. Into Egypt. Through providence, Joseph, for the good that he did, was ill-treated by his brethren and sold into slavery. God didn't do it. And he went into Egypt and God was the one who lifted him up from the ill-treatment and the doom that his evil brethren expected. For Joseph, God is not the taskmaster or the enslaver, if you will, of humanity, but he is the liberator, the good and kind and gracious God, Yahweh. I am that I am, the living God who dwells in unapproachable light. It's the devil who is the enslaver, the slave master, the cruel, wicked oppressor. God didn't send Joseph into Egypt as a slave because he wanted him to suffer. But he permitted him to go there through his providential wisdom to be a savior, a type of Christ. Jacob, Joseph's father, followed, and through the 70 total persons belonging to the clan of Jacob, the Hebrews grew to some estimate between two and three million people in Egypt. Tremendous population growth. The favor that Joseph had and the people 
of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had, was lost as a new king, a new pharaoh came to power, who did not remember what Joseph had done for Egypt and the surrounding regions. God was watching all these things, and the Lord heard the groaning, the cries of the people under oppression because the time had come. We often hear about the cup of God's wrath becoming full when his enemies and people who despise his goodness were violently wicked, pursuing demons, idols, disregarding God's mercies and his rightful authority in the universe and in their lives. When people come to God, they understand He's a Lord God who sees. He's a God who seeks to establish a relationship via a covenant with His people. The Israelites multiplied and the Pharaoh that rose up after several hundred years following Joseph began to oppress the people they grew in tremendous numbers and the Pharaoh was afraid that they would turn on them that is on Egypt if he didn't oppress them further And through the devil's instigation, that pharaoh decided to commit infanticide. Destroy all the male children. And we heard about the two Hebrew midwives who stepped in and they saved the children instead of killing them because they had such faith and courage to do God's will regardless of the pressure from this wicked ruler people who defy God are given up by God and they sell themselves into slavery to sin but there are good people who are mistreated and they're sold into slavery, but it's a temporary oppression which God would undo and vindicate his righteous children. And he takes them to the top. Inasmuch as the Lord Jesus Christ was told by the Father, Ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. He said, I'll make your enemies your footstool. This is what the Lord will do for us. This is what he did for these groaning Israelites. The time that come, we spoke a few moments earlier about the cup of wrath in the hand of the Lord that gets full when the iniquity of idolatrous, wicked, stubborn people continues. There's a cutoff point. That's 
synonymous and equivalent with the cup of God's wrath becoming full. Their iniquities are filling up. God is watching. And then he pours out his judgment. Similarly, there's a cup of righteousness that the Lord gives and the Lord prospers his children by. As we continue to obey the Lord, we continue to build treasures for ourselves from the hands of the Lord. We build treasure in heaven and we also get rewarded here. Understanding the way God deals with his people and from Genesis now to Exodus, we see how God established a covenant with Noah. He established a covenant with Abraham. These are the major covenants. Some would start with the Edenic or Adamic covenant back in the Garden of Eden. But most notably, we see the covenant God made with Noah, then the covenant God made with Abraham, and now the covenant that is going to come about, which can be thought of as the Mosaic covenant, or the Old covenant, the First covenant, the covenant he made with Israel. God is going to bring this people out of bondage. They're going to go as a free people, but then they're going to get to become acquainted with this God who liberated them, and he will draw near to teach them how to live because they don't know anything. They don't have any laws. They don't have any stipulations of how to keep covenant with God. So God schools them as he schools us. And the schooling consists of our understanding of who God is, his nature, and what his plan is. He reveals these things in the covenant. And then he tells us what our responsibilities are in the covenant. The covenant can be thought of as an agreement. Some would say a life or lifetime agreement, an eternal agreement. The eternal part of the old covenant, this Mosaic covenant, is the moral law. Things that have to do with the soul directly in response to God's nature and character. We will come to see the civil law, the ceremonial law, as well as the moral law. But the emergence of the leader who God would raise up will be studied now with the chapter 2 of Exodus. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. 
Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. This is uh, understood as a daughter among many daughters of Pharaoh. And many scholars believe that this daughter was not a daughter of his wife or closest companions but rather a daughter of one of his concubines. And this uh, daughter came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. The term ark is actually the same term used for the ark of Noah, Noah's ark. It was a basket. And this vehicle that would house the child didn't just pop into the mother and the father's heads randomly, arbitrarily, out of nowhere. God put it in their hearts. They saw the child and they saw that this child is a special child, as you see in the book of Hebrews. They had faith. They had an insight. Moses' mother, Jacobet, was a woman of faith, as was Moses' dad. And they put the child, trusting God to guide the child. Who would put an infant in an ark and that too in the river of Egypt? Filled with crocodiles and other creatures left defenseless, not by faith. By faith, they trusted that God would keep over or watch over the child. And God guided this basket housing this baby who would become the deliverer right to the daughter of Pharaoh's eyes and hands. When she saw the ark among the reeds, she told her maid, go get it. And when she opened it, what would an ark be doing there? A little basket. What's in the basket? She saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. First of all, the shock of seeing a child in a basket on the river. Secondly, the cry of the baby. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She understood. She understood. Somebody has attempted to rescue a Hebrew infant male whom my father, Pharaoh, has decreed should die. God moved upon her heart not to commit murder along with her murderous father. At the very moment when she declared, this is one of the Hebrews' children, the Spirit of God moved this sister of Moses, Miriam, and said, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Perfect timing, capitalizing on the compassion 
of this daughter Pharaoh when she saw the baby. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Moses' mother, Moses' family, not only got Moses back, he didn't die, but they got a bonus with that. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your paycheck. I'll pay you to have your baby with you. I'll pay you to take care of the baby. In essence, this is what happened, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. Another act of faith. And he became her son. Their faith continued. There's no indication that Jacobed, Moses' mother, became so endeared to the child and she became so fearful that the child now knows me better and would have a hard time parting with me and how am I ever going to wean the child and all these considerations. And how can I let the child go there? Every day, the longer I spend with the child, the more I'm growing to love this child of mine. So thankful God saved the child. But she had this in common with Hannah, as we heard on, I believe, Mother's Day in church, regarding, regarding some godly women. She kept the agreement. Some may guess that Pharaoh's daughter kept... Uh, a watchful eye on the child and the whereabouts of these people to hold them accountable to keep their end of the bargain. But she also had faith because she could have taken some other measure possibly to keep the child back or send the child away somewhere else. She had faith that God is working things out. Have you ever been in a situation where there's initial faith to believe God and trust God, but after a while you begin to take matters in your own hands? You begin to lose faith, and the faith turns to unbelief and doubt and fear and worry. You think, well, I know God started this. not so sure he can complete this. Whatever God begins... God completes. When it comes to the human will and the destiny of our lives, our cooperation is essential for God to complete what he started in this adventure of faith that he's invited to. We need to stay close to the Lord. Evidently, Moses' mother, Jochebed, the family had this living faith God who spared this baby from destruction. Kept the baby and navigated that little ark, the basket in which the baby was placed. Faithfully to the daughter of Pharaoh. The God who caused the Pharaoh's daughter to listen to Moses' sister in her offer to take the child to one of the quote-unquote Hebrew women, which happened to be her mother, Moses' mother, 
that same God who allowed the mother to nourish as she cherished that baby. They had faith that that God, when the child was given back to the daughter of Pharaoh, who claimed him for herself, God would continue to watch that child. Hannah's child, Samuel, was given to the service of the Lord, to the Lord in the temple or the tabernacle. She had a living faith, Hannah did, and so did Jacobet. It's possible to begin to trust God and to continue for a while. And then through whatever the enemy brings our way and whatever hardship comes or difficulties to seeing God's hand more and more the presence of providence can obscure and recede into the background and the presence of my own wits my own abilities and the actions of other people mankind human beings can take the forefront and distract us totally from recalling that it was God who was the first cause to our salvation. He's the one who will help us to keep salvation and keep redemption and keep that which you've committed unto him against that day. Whatever good that God has promised us in his word to believe and say, Lord, please finish what you've begun. Lord, let this thing play out, O oh God. I'm trusting and taking steps by faith. Now, I'm going to see the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to see God see me through. The faith that faces a quote-unquote dead end or a solid rock, a fortress, a mountain is able to watch the dead end opened up to a way. By the way, Exodus means literally the road out, the way out. God would make an Exodus for me until I reach my promised destination. Pharaoh's daughter took the child back and he became her son, so she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. Exodus 2 verse 10. May we be encouraged this morning to persevere and trust God. To keep covenant with God. Keep the agreement with God. To keep His commandments. That's how you keep covenant. These are not terms which are vague and phrases that uh, become cliches and like some people memorize Bible verses, they can do it perhaps rapid fire. So many verses memorized and so many creeds and confessions, so many things having to do with uh, theology and ecclesiology, the church, and it just comes out in a rather robotic manner. 
But how much of it is actually obeyed, that is, the commandments of God? This is what we're after. Whatever God has taught us, whatever principles, whatever commands, to the degree that we are able to learn them and to internalize them is a degree to which God will hold us accountable. By means of this devotional exposition of Exodus, we shall see the grandeur, the majesty of the Almighty God and how He loves us so much though He's the most powerful being in the universe. He created the universe. He is self-existent and He is outside of time and yet He is able to come in and step into time. He is outside of the confines of matter and energy as we know it and He steps into the same. He's beyond our capability, literally beyond our human capability to understand fully. But one day he said we shall know him, see him, even as we're known, and we shall be like him. Seeing the brightest light we can ever see that our eyes can be able to look upon without being destroyed. Such an intensity. What happens to us? We begin to see other images and have to um, recover. We have to recover from that bright light. We have to have our um, optic nerves and the entire process recalibrated to come back to normalcy. It's so bright. And imagine something brighter than that to an infinite degree. That is the brightness of God. That brightness is what we will dwell with. This child will grow up to see a glimpse of the brightness of God, this child Moses, like no one else ever saw. We can trust God that from obscure, oppressive, often by choice, this subjugation under the tyranny of Satan, because we sought out our own will, our own pleasure, our own desires, and found a big mess, more mess, just like a lie begets another lie. Deception leading to more deception and self-deception, which is the worst thing. Delusion. Such a mess. Who can deliver us from such a pit where we are completely lost? Every sense of dignity gone. Become a creature, as the psalmist says, beasts made to be captured and killed. Why? Because of so much harm that's done by the act of our wills to ourselves and other people. Total disregard for the gifts of God, trashing everything. Who would want to save such a person? Especially a repeat failure. 
Only my God can save me, a repeat failure, and put me truly on the path, not only to recovery and restoration, but a redemption to a regal status with him. From the guttermost to the uttermost, from the garbage heap, from the dunghill, to be seated in his presence at his table. The people who are under such heavy oppression surely lost their identity. God came to tell them, you're still connected to me. I've been watching all of this and I'm hearing your cries. And so he orchestrates everything we read here. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren. We're in Exodus chapter 2 verse 11. And looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. He knew he was a Jew, he was a Hebrew. And he saw this injustice being done. So he looked the other way and walked away and sat down and had his wine. And No, that's not what he did. He didn't look the other way. He looked this way and that way because he was about to serve justice. At least according to his own eyes, he said, I have to do something. Maybe this will change everything. It did change everything, but not in a way that he thought. It was going to lead to his own exodus from the Egyptian palace and Egypt altogether. So that God can groom him and make him the deliverer that he was going to be. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and he dragged him into the sand. He hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, not two of the Hebrew men, his Jewish brothers were fighting and he said to the one who did the wrong why are you striking your brother in essence he's saying what's wrong with you this is your brother and he said who made you boss and a judge over us who made you prince and he despised him, he knew and Moses had all the privileges. In essence, he was saying, go mind your business. Furthermore, I saw what happened yesterday. You thought it was hidden? I saw you kill the Egyptian and you want to do that to me? How Satan will put words in people's mouths try to bring fear upon us. In this case, however, this meant that the Pharaoh would kill him. And so Moses had to take action to leave. So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. But this action of Moses was not a cowardly action. It was actually, again, orchestrated by God. God is not the author of evil. But he is over the devil, over every negative and wicked thing the enemy would do. He's truly the God of redemption. He took a situation where Moses stepped out in the name of justice 
to relieve someone who's being oppressed. And God showed him the bigger program. You're not just going to bring justice to one man and that's not the way it's going to change the whole scenario for your Hebrew brethren who are being oppressed. I will show you the way. Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Moses knew God. We don't see a conversation between Moses and God, but he knew God. How do we know that? He had this justice burning within his chest. This notion of right and wrong, and he was a good man. In the New Testament, we see it amplified that he chose to forsake the pleasures of Egypt and to suffer reproach with the people of God. It's not merely running because of fear. Perhaps with his eloquence, as we also know, he was an eloquent person. He could have covered himself, so to speak, and escaped this situation and lived to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. But there's a definite forsaking of it, not just a fleeing Egypt because of trying to save the skin. What a character. What a character filled with virtue. Even this incident was being watched over by the Lord. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. He just left the world that he grew up in. He came out into the unknown. Except the unknown was very well known by God. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Again, you see a man of justice. He could have said, it doesn't matter to me. Everybody suffers. You see the good Samaritan nature of Moses here. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, how is it that you've come so soon today? Speaking to his daughters, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. And she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and the cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, 
with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon their children, the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. God remembers and God keeps his word. This covenant, this agreement between at least two parties, this life agreement, this agreement that requires responsibilities of the parties involved, we can always expect God to keep covenants. Somebody might think, of course, God is good. Of course, he keeps his covenant. He doesn't have to. We need to remember that. He doesn't have to do anything. And this is the difference between the real God and all the false idols of every other religion and the pseudo-Christian cults. The living God by nature is good. But he's also sovereign and he's the supreme ruler of the universe. He can do whatever he wants. Someone says, oh, but he can't violate his goodness. But he can hold us accountable for our failures. And he would be just and still good. You see? He would be just and still good if he said to any human being, don't come near me and banish us forever from his presence because we're all guilty. He is so good in his grace and so merciful that he found a way to redeem us from our slavery, from our pit. We must never forget from where God saved us to keep us humble and keep us in the path of righteousness and not make mistakes and deviate from that. Pride is the cause that will make a human being fall back into the pit from where God rescued him or her. The people were not spoken of as having sinned, these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for all these years. They were oppressed by the devil who worked through a pharaoh. God saw it. God already predicted because he foreknew what's going to happen. And at the right time, he prepared the deliverer. At the right time, God will rescue you. At the set time. At the right time, he will change the laws of the land. We were sharing with my brother and sister just recently. Now, when the Lord called me to resign the job, within just a few years of getting the pension, and it's his call. Not a heroic deed on my part, but God called. We're called just to follow and have faith that he'll take care of things. One of my biggest concerns because of the medical situation in the family a number of medical situations that require follow-up and doctor's visits and all these things. Expensive uh, imaging tests and all these things. I would lose all of my insurance with my job, secular job, which is acknowledged by many people to be among the best of any 
profession. That's the kind of coverage I had by the grace of God for many years. More than two and a half decades. Suddenly to be wondering how is this going to be paid for and especially with the loss of income the benefits also gone for a family of seven and as the head of the household under the Lord Jesus Christ I'm responsible I went out to the vehicle and I sought the Lord and I opened the Bible and I prayed and sought the Lord for some time and that great day when the Lord clearly spoke showed me from the word of God the God who is with me all my life will be with me in the desert and he will produce all that I need to take care of me God intervenes and what happened was the very same month in which I resigned there's a law passed in the state that whereas I calculated for the family size we would have had to pay at least $1,500 per month huge sum especially with the loss of income with regards to the insurance we would have a zero premium to pay who can do it but God it reminds me of when uh, the present house in which we reside we needed to move to because of a growing family and it was impossible and the broker said there's no way you can get this house the same person who literally sarcastically despised the very notion of trying to get the house based upon our circumstance at that time the very next day called my wife and said the government just passed a law the rates dropped this house must belong to you God's intervention when we're following him causes the laws of the land to change in our favor he can change do anything for us he proves his faithfulness and that's the point he proves that we don't have to be afraid so long as we do his will and how many hours can we spend calculating and calculating and calculating and keep looking at our assets and seeing how to manage instead of going to our father and saying father you've called me to obey your voice and that's all I know and at this juncture you want me to take the step of faith to step out a stranger in a foreign land but the man had faith hallelujah he didn't run back just like his father Abraham he had opportunity to go back 
the forefathers did, but they refused to go back. They went forward with the living God and said, Lord, whatever you want in my life, my treasure, everything I possess, Lord, my time, every second, every breath, and the talents, whatever ability you've given me, Lord, I want to invest in your kingdom. How many of us can do prison ministry? How many of us can write letters to prisoners from home? Total strangers. There's a way when there's a will, a willing heart. Through the means of your letter to an inmate, if you truly love God and love people, believe in the mercy of God and believe in the power of God to transform a life, not just give a pardon so the criminal can come out and rob and do the same thing again, but through the letters through sending gospel literature, transform their lives for eternity. Is it possible? Little old me? Yes. Because although it's little old me, there's a great big God behind the will to do His will to save others. Is it possible that we can look at our income and say, Lord, there are people dying, believers who are suffering. Lord, how can I go beyond my tithe and set aside a certain amount of money for widows and orphans who are afflicted sorely? And Lord, I don't know who to trust, which relief agency, Christian agency is really doing it right. There's so much fraud and I hear about where there is a willing heart, God will make the way. He will show. Some of us have supported Compassion International for years. And we have seen the children rescued from their affliction through the means of just a small portion of our income as an offering of the tithe. This is what's meant by doing God's will. To have a heart of compassion, not only for my own son, my own daughter, my own spouse, or my own flesh and blood, but to look beyond and say, I'm supposed to be my brother's keeper. Who are the people in the household of faith all over the world that are suffering? Now, God doesn't ask us to carry the weight of the world. We cannot. It's quite obvious. But there's a part to play. I can think of a... a a lady 30-something years old, years ago, in the early 1900s, who was a school teacher, if I remember correctly. And uh, she began to teach Sunday school. And as she taught Sunday school, she began to love God's Word even more. And she studied more in a day in which the males dominated the clergy and even the gospel work in official consideration. She wasn't looking to be clergy or anything, have any title. She just taught Sunday school. God moved her to a big city. 
And she didn't know what she was going to do in that big city. And providentially led her to a large church. And that church had a large Sunday school. She became the head of that Sunday school, faithfully teaching. She became so in love with God's word and God's eyes were upon that lady, now 40-something, that he gave her a vision to write down what God was showing her. And she became the author of one of the most popular commentaries on the whole Bible. In essence, a concise handbook, not really a commentary as we're used to hearing. And eventually, the person that wrote the foreword for that concise Bible handbook, which became hundreds of pages and remains popular to this day, the foreword was written by Billy Graham, his wife, Ruth Graham. God took that seed of faith and obedience in this unknown 30-something-year-old single lady who loved God and continued to study His Word. And He used her to bless so many people as I heard in Hollywood. People in Hollywood, actresses and actors would come to her house for what? Bible study. And she held herself in a dignified way and they said she was so um, well-groomed and well-dressed because she wanted to represent the Lord to let people know God takes care of his own but not in a proud way. She gave of her substance, her time countless hours to disciple the people who came to her home. What a noble life. What a glorious life. She didn't have her mind on money and other professions and this and that. She saw that the kingdom of God, just as Moses found his place in the kingdom of God, is to liberate people who are enslaved to darkness, all kinds of people, because God loves all people. God wants us to know redemption is not only God's program to get us out of sin and slavery, the redemption is God's program to involve us, to involve us, to go and liberate other people. God wants us to have a part in His grand program. How much time and treasure and talents is God entrusted to our care? Moses had a lot of things. Now, Moses went through a period of isolation, a period of training. And just as that lady I mentioned, she went through a period where she felt all alone in a big place with a big responsibility. How can I handle this? And what would the male counterparts think and all those things? God shattered all those fears. 
because she was not seeking to make a name for herself. She was seeking to expand the kingdom of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he made the way. He opened the way. God acknowledged the cries of his people, and he prepared to deliver In our own lives, each of us is called to be a deliverer. Each of us is called to stand for justice, but not in a generic way, not in a secular way only, not in a political way, but in a spiritual way. You see, Lord, I want to serve you, Lord. I want to be of use to you, Lord, in your kingdom. There's so many souls I can reach, Lord, I can't even say that I can count on my one hand how many souls I brought to you since I became born again. Or maybe two hands. God knows and we know, each of us. And the depth to which we lead even one soul. Do we have such an impact that the soul actually, the person begins to understand God's holiness and obedience to his commandments and the path to glory and the necessity of the cross, not only of the cross of the Almighty Savior, Jesus Christ, the necessity of us in the shadow of his cross to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. The depth to which I can convey God's message of power and invest into that soul, see that soul nurtured and built up to a strong tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf does not wither see them prosper before God in both breadth and in depth in both breadth B-R-E-A-D-T-H and in depth we need to be able to expand the kingdom of God and God wants us to be a deliverer and a savior not the deliverer and the savior only Jesus is but in him as representatives and ambassadors of God. God wants us to see the oppression and do something about it. When we see somebody hooked on drugs, somebody in violence, somebody who is being punished, to be the people who can come and give hope. Faith sees, believes God's promises. That's what Moses had. He had this seed placed within him his faith and he put it to work and he began to believe God that even in the foreign land as a stranger I forsook everything I ever knew all my success to pursue God's will God told me to do something different I don't know how I'm going to be supported what's going to happen all I know is God said he would just like his father Abraham Moses believed and there was a hope that God gives that causes us to do what? endure the wilderness and isolation because we know God is going to bring us out in a glorious fashion blessed be God's name Exodus chapter 2 with many personal applications from the life of Moses shall we pray Heavenly Father we thank you Lord we thank you Lord for giving us your grace Lord to read together Lord we thank you Jesus what a privilege just to read the word of God, Lord, even with no comments, Lord, just to read it. 
chapter by chapter to know the word of God more and more. And then, Lord, the insights you give from your spirit, Lord, to move us into a closer walk with you in a fruitful relationship, Lord, to make our Father's heart glad. Hallelujah. Help our hands not to be idle. I pray. Help us, Lord, I pray. Lord, not only inspire, but, Lord, empower us, Lord, to be diligent, to have goals for the kingdom of God, not from ourselves, from you, to lay everything at your feet. And say, Lord, I want to use my time. I want to use my talents. I want to use the treasures you've given me, Lord. And be a deliverer for people in your name. I want to reach out in compassion. Care about other people and their justice, not just my own personal justice. And I want to do it haphazardly and mix politics and all the secular things, Lord, that so many Christians and churches do and get mixed up. Begin to go and shout in front of parades and different things, Lord, picket lines and obscure the gospel message, the distinctiveness of the Christian message. But Lord, to hold fast to your truth, to ever cry that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, apart from you, there's no life. No one can come to the Father apart from you, and there's no life apart from you. Everything is vain, no matter what kind of justice is sought and gained in this life. It's nothing in the end. We need God's justice. We need your mercy. Lord, we want to walk in your compassion to reach others, to come to you, to transform their lives, Lord. I pray for wisdom, every brother, every sister, Lord, to continue to pursue you, to see in the life of Moses how, Lord, we can overcome every obstacle and every trial, every hardship, every fear that the devil brings, and become fruitful. That, Lord, as that wonderful daughter of yours that served, Lord, so many years, and produced a literary work to bless people simply with the word of God. Millions of people down the decades. Though she's been long gone for some 70 years or so. The work that she produced because she relied upon you still ministering to many, many people. Leading them to a deeper study of your word and a greater commitment to you, Lord. Oh, Father, pray, make everyone fruitful beyond their natural expectations because you're a supernatural God. Lord, you heard the groaning. You heard the cry, I pray, that you hear, Lord, the groaning and cry of those who are truly sincere this morning. Say, Lord, I've got to do something for you that's lasting. I don't want to take all that you've given me and not save a single soul. But give me millions of souls, God. Oh, God, to bring to you in the depth of each disciple should be so deep in their walk with you that they would be willing to go and reproduce in the same manner. Being loyal to you, loving you with all their hearts, mind, soul and strength. Father, I pray for each one of us. Help us to be such people. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.